0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed. It's exciting to see all of your faces this morning, and I just want to ask if you would take a moment and turn over to the book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue, well, Acts chapter 7. We're going to start at the end of Acts chapter 7. And we're going to dive in and continue our study through the book of Acts. I can get everything situated here. Sorry, just give me one moment. So, as we continue working and wrestling through the book of Acts... Uh, We see, uh, as we've studied over the past several weeks, uh, last week we started looking at Stephen and how Stephen uh, is in a very strong predicament, and he's actually got arrested. But I want you, before we dive into Acts 8, I want you to think back uh, with me whenever uh, you were a kid. Did any of you ever like to play hide-and-seek? I loved playing hide-and-seek. In fact, um, it was one of my favorite games um, and I always liked to be the one to go find people um, so you could look everywhere. But there were times where uh, whenever I would have to uh, be the one who wasn't it in that moment, then I had to hide, enjoyed hide and seek. In fact, on a Wednesday night, when we did a Wednesday night Bible study uh, back in the early fall uh, I shared with a group on Wednesday night in here that whenever I was a kid, uh, I didn't want to just play hide and seek with adults or with kids. I wanted to play it with adults. And so my sister and I uh, couldn't just play hide and seek together because that was boring and she always hid in pretty much the same spots anyway. And so we would ask my grandpa to play hide and seek with us. Uh, and my grandpa always wanted to be it, Right? He never wanted to go hide. He wanted to be it. And he would always tell us, go hide and I'll come find you. But he didn't. (laughs) We would go hide and hide and hide and hide and he never came. And he would sit in the chair uh, and he would say, all right, I'm, not, I'm looking in the kitchen, or I'm looking here. And then if we were hiding in the closet, we would, we would cry out, we're not in the closet, so don't come look in the closet, because we were just waiting for him to come and find us. I don't know about you, but I love playing hide-and-seek, and there's a lot in hide-and-seek that I think we can take and then actually apply to this passage of Scripture that we can see some of, and it might be a stretch, but we can see a little bit of what's taking place in this passage of Scripture. The one thing, though, that I do want to point out is that in this passage of Scripture, the bold ones who have just come to relationship with the Lord are the ones that are doing the seeking here, Right? The Lord is not hiding. The Lord is present, and he's just waiting for them to come seeking him. Sometimes, whenever we are living out our life, we're seeking, and we're seeking, and we're looking, and we're searching for answers, and we're searching for the right next step, and we're searching for this, and we're searching for the other, and the Lord is just standing there, and he's saying, hey, look, I'm right here. Would you come seek me? Would you come find me? Kind of like whenever I was growing up. When we were hiding and my grandpa wasn't coming to find us, we were saying, Grandpa, we're not in the closet. Or Grandpa, we're not in the kitchen. We were giving him clues saying, hey, come look here. Come look here. And you know the Lord does that in our life. God is not a God who hides from us, and he's not a God who cannot be found. He's a God who wants to be found. He's a God who is not hiding. He's a God who wants to spend time with you. And sometimes when we're out doing all of our seeking and we're out looking for the right next step or we're looking for this, sometimes what we need to do is just slow down and sense the presence of the Lord and lean in to His presence. And you know, that's what the believers were doing here in Acts chapter 7. That's what Stephen was doing here whenever he was arrested, and he preached this sermon back to the Sanhedrin and all of the religious leaders. Stephen was leaning in to the presence of of the Lord. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 7, the very, very end of that. I want to read in verse 54. Now, last week, we got up to the point to where Stephen had been arrested He preaches this sermon back to those religious leaders, and I don't want to skip over that. I want to encourage you to dive in and read his sermon. I talked about it last week. Our community groups, if you're in a community group, one of the things that we asked you to do this last week was read through the rest of Acts chapter 7 and get Stephen's sermon here that he's actually preaching. It's an amazing sermon, and he goes from the beginning all the way up to Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit to where he's at, but that doesn't get him released. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. When they heard this, these are the religious leaders, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, now remember when we began looking at Stephen, when Stephen was one of the ones that were actually chosen by the apostles. The apostles pointed out, and Luke records it here in Acts, that Stephen was full of God's grace and full of power. Well, we know that power is the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Some of us need to go back to that passage of Scripture, and we need to get plugged into the right source of power. But that's several months ago that we talked about that. But here, Luke again points out in verse 55, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a sight, right? Verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their eyes and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, Saul's going to become important here as we continue to go through the book of Acts. And we're going to see his radical conversion. He was here involved in the stoning of Stephen. And then we'll see how he begins to persecute Christians next week. But we'll take a look at Saul's life in depth. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, or he passed away. Chapter 8 of Acts. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So just to pause right here. So we remember, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, there have been several thousand people that have surrendered their life to Jesus. And here in the book of Acts, it says that they then were filled with Holy Spirit. They received the power, the promise, the fulfillment of what Jesus had actually prophesied and said was actually going to happen, but had not happened yet before he actually ascended back to the right hand of the Father where Stephen here is actually looking at him. And in this, these thousands of people had all gathered in a central location and had fellowshiped together. And there was a little bit of persecution. You remember Uh, Peter and John were arrested. Several more people gave their life. Several thousand other people gave their life to Jesus. We see all throughout this birth of the early church, things would happen. Amazing sermons, thousands would get saved. Two people arrested, thousands would get saved. More people uh, uh, experienced persecution and several more people. The scripture points out that the Lord added to the church daily. And so we can then say, that the church is a thriving body of believers, and it is doing what sometimes we expect the church to do. It is growing, and people are, people's lives are being changed. And then we get to the first martyr, Stephen, actually being killed, stoned to death, and the believers watch. And then this man named Saul comes along, and he starts going house. The house, dragging the believers out of the house, asking them, do you believe that Jesus says, whatever he was asking, I assume he's asking, do you believe that Jesus says who he is? We can see through some of the parts of the scripture that he's trying to trick them up, trying to get them to blaspheme against God not accepting that Jesus was who he actually said he was, that he was the prophet, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king, and he was at work and moving through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they said yes, then Paul, or Saul, actually at this point, would kill them. He would take, take their lives. Paul did this over and over and over, and then what happens is the church begins to scatter. Now in this moment, I'm certain That this persecution and your friends being killed because of their faith does not look like the church is actually thriving. But if you'll remember, before Jesus uh, was actually crucified, he pointed out to Peter that the gates of hell would not stand against the work that God was doing actually through the church. And here, despite the persecution, despite people dying because of their faith, the church, believe it or not, was actually thriving. And people were scattered. They were scattered. And as they were scattered, what happened is the message of the god they turned into evangelists. The message of the gospel was taken everywhere. And people, more people outside of this central location where the believers had gathered, began to give their life to Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 8, Luke turns to a guy named Philip. And I want to focus on Philip for just a few moments here this morning. So if you'll look with me in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we're going to read at the beginning of Acts, we're going to skip a section, and then we're going to go to the end of Acts chapter 8. It's a little long, but I want you to press in as we read God's Word. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered... Preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So now let's skip forward just a little bit to verse 26. Here now we have Philip who's actually going to come alongside an Ethiopian. And we're going to see what's happening in this. So you see what Philip did in the city there. You see how the persecution drove him there. And many people were healed. Evil spirits were cast out. People gave their life to Jesus Christ. And the city was changed. But then verse 26. Let's see what's happening here. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now notice whose ears Philip is listening to here. And this is important. And we have to actually catch this. Peter was walking with the Lord through the power of Holy Spirit and an angel spoke to him and Philip heard it. His ears were tuned to the very heart of God. It says, and so Philip, uh, it says, uh, verse 26 again, I'll start back there. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, again, catch whose ears he's listening to. He's been obedient once, and now he's done what the angel asked him to do, and now the spirit is speaking to him again. Verse 29, The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sat with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? From, this li- from his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, "'Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, "'himself or someone else?' Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, "'Look, here is water. "'Why shouldn't I be baptized?' And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at um, Astostas and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So here what we see is Philip scattered because of persecution— Walking in tune with the Spirit, the Spirit gives him direction, and what are the chances, right? We could ask this, what are the chances... That Philip would just be on this road. Up ahead, there's a chariot with a guy that had been to Jerusalem to worship. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the passage of scripture that he's actually reading is going to be what God uses through his mouthpiece, Philip, to actually change this man's life. And then we can see this man who's in charge of the treasury in Ethiopia plays a vital role in the spread of the church. What are the chances of that? Slim to none. Now remember, Peter, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Philip here has been scattered. He's not in Jerusalem. They've been scattered and they're running because they are scared that they're going to be killed as well. But Philip is not walking in fear. Instead, notice, he's walking in the hope and obedience of what God is telling him to do. Now, probably, if you are scared, you're not going to run alongside a chariot, and you're not, you know, obviously, obviously, the man in charge of the treasury has got a more elaborate chariot than a broken down cart and riding on a horse. So obviously, this is somebody special. And Philip, knowing that Stephen had just been stoned, probably would want to stay away from some government officials, fearing that he also, also, may be stoned to death like Stephen. But Philip, just being obedient and just doing what God had told him to do, through an angel and through the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was, when I was a kid, and sometimes uh, my sister and I are right out two years apart. It's a pretty good age to be apart. Uh, but one of the things that we like to do is pester each other. Now, I don't know if any of you have siblings and if you ever lived that way. Some of you are looking around the room at a sibling or somebody that may be here. Uh, But we enjoyed pestering each other. In fact, sometimes it was a game, and still when we're together, uh, we will pester each other from time to time. But one of the things my sister liked to to tell me, and I think it was a problem for me because I was the oldest child, my sister liked to tell me these words, you're not the boss of me. Did any of your siblings ever tell you that? You're not the boss of me. And man, those words would just fear up inside of me, uh, light me up inside, and that would make me want to be the boss of her that much even more. And then the fight would start, and I would always lose the fight. There's more to the reason why I would always lose the fight, but I won't get into that here this morning. But still... Those words, I can hear my sister if I think, I mean, I, I, can, I can think about it and see some, some places in my mind where I know my sister was looking at me and was just shouting out, you're not the boss of me. And I have to tell you, if I were Philip, and the Lord is telling me some of the things that Philip is being told here in Acts chapter 8, I might be tempted to say to God, listen, you you're not the boss of me because Stephen was just killed, right? Stephen was just killed and you're wanting me to go tell this here rich ruler who's in charge of all the treasury, obviously he's an important guy, you're wanting me to come alongside of him and you're wanting me to tell what Stephen actually got killed for? Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna stick around here and I'm not gonna put my life out on the line. But you know, that's not how Philip was living his life. Philip was not living a life separated from what God actually said. Philip did not walk around saying, listen, you're not the boss of me. I can make my own decisions, and I've got a brain. Have you ever used that argument with God? You gave me this amazing brain, so please let me use my brain to figure out the situation that I'm actually in right now. And I'm smart enough to know that it's not so bright for me to actually start preaching the gospel when this guy's actually been to Jerusalem. Obviously, he knew what happened. He had to have heard the rumors because he had been to the temple to worship. He had to have known about Stephen, and he had to know there were some other people out preaching the gospel, so why don't you let me figure out what the next steps that I need to take her. Why don't you let me in this moment just be separate or autonomous from you right now so that I can make my own wise decisions? You know, that's how we actually wanna live our right, our life sometimes, right? We actually have a smart brain. We are trained people. We live in a civilized society. And we know what the next right thing actually is, right? But we live our life by doing what we want to do and doing it whenever we actually want to do it. We want to be autonomous people. We, we're smart. We want to make our own decisions. And so we actually want to be, live in autonomy with the right or condition of self-governing, of actually saying, hey, I can do this on my own. I don't need to stop to ask God right from wrong. I can figure out this is not the right direction. Or it's just the freedom from external control or influence or actual independence. I'm just going to be independent in this moment because I can do the right thing on my own. And we live this way. Now, we might not do it intentionally. We might think, Hey, I'm smart. I don't need to take time to ask God right from wrong. I don't need to tune into God to say to let him say, hey, go do this or go do that. I'm going in the right direction. I'm doing good. I'm helping people. I'm living an independent life. I go to church. I tie to the church. I volunteer here. I do this. And so I'm obviously doing the right thing, right? But listen, you can do the right thing and still be wrong. Oops. No one said amen to that. <laughs> Let me try again. You can do the right thing and still be wrong. Eh, Not too bad. Some of you got, got on board with that. You can. Because we fool ourselves when we think that we can make decisions on our own and they're the right decisions. We fool ourselves when we get to the place to where we say, I've got it figured out. God directed me. He gave me the step. And so obviously this is the path that he wants me to be on. But that's not how Philip is living in Acts chapter 8. Philip is living a life on a journey running from those who are crucifying Christians, running from Saul who's going house to house, killing the Christians. And yet Philip, in in spite of his running, still keeps his ear in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying to him, and he is obedient in the moment. You see, Philip is not living an autonomous life. He's living a dependent life on the voice of God. Now, obviously, here in America, we love autonomy. We love independence so much that we separated from a king. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing when it came to our country. But listen, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your soul that will last for all of eternity, you cannot live life autonomous from the work of God in your life. Now, you should be living autonomous from all of the other voices around you, but that has to push you into total dependence on the voice of God, and that's what Philip is actually doing here. He's just simply listening to God, and despite opposition, he's walking in certainty, filled with hope, knowing that God was leading And God was speaking. Now, I know what you may be thinking in this moment. I know what you may be thinking in this moment. Well, listen, I've tried to seek God, and it didn't work out last time. You've probably tried to live out this passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things are going to be added unto you. Jesus' words in an amazing sermon, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else is going to take care of its place. You know, that's not the right interpretation of that passage of scripture. But the command doesn't change despite the outcome. Seek first the kingdom of God is the command of Jesus in that moment. And some of us have experienced those times where we've sought God we've wrestled with the flesh and we've said, no, I'm going to seek God and I'm going to seek God first. But yet things didn't turn out the way that we actually wanted it to turn out. Or we, we think, hey, God, are you really playing hide and seek? Are you hiding in this moment and I can't find you? I know that some of us have actually lived that. And so we think, hey, this has got to be a failure. The seeking God thing doesn't work because I tried it at one moment and so I tried and I didn't get what I wanted or I didn't get the answer and I sought God and then all these other things didn't fall in place, if you will. And so obviously it doesn't work, so I'm just going to keep on doing my own thing, and I'm just going to live an autonomous life, separated, using the brain that God gave me, doing good, going to church, tithing, volunteering, serving, doing all the things that I'm supposed to do, and I think that that's what's actually going to get me into heaven. That is not the intention of what Jesus has said, and that's not what Philip is living out here in Acts chapter 8. Here's what we have to do. We have to live a life in the kingdom of God With Jesus as our king. If we want to be a part of his kingdom, then we have to recognize that the kingdom has a king. And we are not the king, and we are not the queen of the kingdom. And the king makes commands that he demands that we be obedient A lot of us don't like to think of Jesus this way because we want to see this fluffy Jesus where whenever we do wrong, we can crawl up into his lap like a grandpa, and he's just going to stroke our head or pat us on the back and say, oh, I love you so much, and you're just the most amazing thing ever. Some of us want that to be our view of Jesus all the time. But while that is true, he is also a king, and the king commands his obedience the King requires for you to first consult with him so that as you live in his kingdom, we are being in a, or we are coming in alignment with his will and doing the things that he asks us to do. That's what Philip is doing here. You think, oh, you don't know the circumstances in my life. You don't know how hard my life has been. You don't know what I've been through. And you know what? You're right. But I promise you it can't be as bad as Philip is here when he just watched a brother be crucified, stoned to death in front of him, because all he said was, I believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's running for his life, running towards people who are probably going to crucify him. And God is ordering him steps every single part of the way. And Philip doesn't doubt it. Philip doesn't question it. He is obedient to the king of the kingdom that he is actually living in. He's not making decisions on his own. And he's not living a life without first consulting God. Seek First, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The key part of this is seek first, it means to actively pursue or to go after and some of us actually begin our life with Jesus this way actively pursuing him and going after his will but then we experience hardship we experience some failure we experience some things in our life that just doesn't make sense in our walk with him and so then we stop actively pursuing and then we just keep talking about it and we think well I'll pursue him on Mondays but I'll take Tuesdays off. But then I'll have good days on Wednesday and Thursday, and then I'm going to take Friday off. Listen, if you're taking time off from pursuing God, you're not pursuing Him because you can't pursue self and God at the same time because when there's conflict, who wins? The key for us is in Genesis chapter 3. Every time there's conflict with flesh, in conflict with God, if you're not actively pursuing God, the flesh wins. We've experienced that, right? And that's why some of us step back from seeking first the king of the kingdom, and we say, hey, I'm just going to live on my own here for a few minutes. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing for a little bit because I'm smart and I can figure this out. We do it over and over and over, and we fool ourselves and think that we are seeking first his kingdom because things are going good, because all is right, or the bad doesn't last very long in our lives. And we get right up the next day, go about our way, and we forget to consult the king. You say, well, God doesn't speak to me the way that he does here in Philip. I've not heard the voice of an angel, and I've not heard the voice of an angel either. But I've heard the voice of God, not audibly, not audibly. I've, I've felt God impress things on my life. I've felt God leading me and guiding me. And there have been moments where i felt his presence so strong, and there have been moments where I've not felt his presence at all. But that doesn't change the fact that he's still there. In the good, the bad, the up, the down, the mountaintop, the valley, the light, or the dark, God hasn't changed. God does not change. He is always, always there. And so we allow the enemy to fool ourselves, and we think that we have to make Jesus Lord of our life, and we think it's our own strength in that moment that made Jesus the Lord of our life, You know what? Jesus is Lord whether you make him Lord or not. What we have to do is come into submission to his kingship. Come into submission of his lordship. And we have to say, God, I'm just going to surrender. And I'm going to take my hands off of my day. I'm going to take my hands off of my life. And I'm just going to give it completely to you. That's why I rejoice when I see people lift their hands or hand in worship. It's a a sign of submission. It's a sign of saying, God, I'm just worshiping you in this moment, and I'm taking my hands off of my life, and I am submitting myself to your lordship and your kingship. You see, the choice you make in coming into alignment with his lordship is not a choice of making him lord, but surrendering to the Lord. What Philip has done and modeled here for us in Acts chapter 8 is he is actually submitted himself to what God is doing. And then in walking with the Lord as God impresses things or God speaks to him, he just comes in alignment and is in obedience to that. And we keep asking sometimes, God, just tell me what the next step is. Tell me what the next right thing is to do. Tell me what the right the, 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 the uh, right decision is I've got to make. And you know what? There are times where God has spoken and we've missed it because we think he's hiding and he's just standing there saying, hey, here I am. Would you just listen to me and stop all of the activity? Stop living a life that's autonomous, separated from him, and come into submission Under his lordship and his kingdom. You see, in order to seek first the kingdom, you have to first seek the king and recognize that when we're told to seek first the kingdom, we have to not be the king of that kingdom and yield to his kingship. But what happens is we like the idea of kingdom benefits. But we don't like the submission part to the king. We say, God, give me the benefits, right? Whenever I need healing, give me your healing. Whenever I need finances, give me the finances. Whenever I need help with a decision or I'm in a hard spot, get me out of the hard spot. We want the kingdom benefits, but yet the rest of the time we forget to submit to the king. In hard-pressed times, it's easy to ask for kingdom benefits, but whenever we're not in the press or in the crucible of life, we step out of that, things are going good. We forget to submit to the king of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. So what we have to do is ask ourselves, who's the king of the kingdom of your life? Do you just pull in Jesus as a sub-king? Or a sub-prince whenever you need some kingdom benefits? Or do you live your life every single day submitted to the king of the kingdom? Do you want to bring God in in hard moments and ask for the help and the kingdom benefits? Or are you living every single day walking with him? Are you living autonomous some of your life and doing things your own way? Or are you living a life totally, totally surrendered to him? I like what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. God speaking here. You will seek me and find me when you do it with all of your heart. With all of your heart. You know what all of your heart means? It means every single day of the week not just on Sundays, not just on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, not just on Fridays, and then you take Thursday and Saturday and whatever days off. God declares, whenever you seek him with all of your heart, that's every ounce of your being, whenever you seek him like that, then you will find him. God did not say, When you seek me, a majority of the time in your life, you're going to find him. He said it takes everything. It takes all of your heart. Whenever you seek me with all of your heart, the promise of God is then you will find him. Philip had found him here in Acts chapter 8 because he wasn't living a life separated or autonomous. He was living a life that was in submission to God, and that submission is all of your heart. So what area of your life have you not surrendered to God? What area of your life are you saying, hey God, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to be autonomous. I'm going to be separate of you in this area of my life, because things are going good, and I don't need you here in this moment. I can take care of this all by myself. I know you've got a lot of important things that you have to deal with. And so I'll take care of this because I don't want to bother you with this specific area of my life. There's some other things that I want to ask you to do. But what if we woke up every day? What if we woke up every single day and we started the day by saying, hey, God, I'm so glad you created this day. I'm so glad you've created me, and I'm so glad that you're in this moment, in this day, with me. And so I am starting this day in total surrender, in total submission to you. I don't want to be autonomous from noon to two. I don't want to be autonomous in the morning and then just need you when things get hard in the afternoon. I don't want to just depend on you whenever I am, uh, when I'm at work. When I get home, things are going good, or vice, or whatever. What if we started the day by saying, Hey, God, I'm surrendering to you and your lordship every single moment of this day? You see, the one thing that we have to actually catch is we have to be people that are totally surrendered to Him. Oh, it's okay to be autonomous. As long as we are autonomous from the world, but yet submitted to Him. See, even in the church of God, we wrestle with this idea of being autonomous, right? Autonomy is a good thing. But the concept that we have in in the church of God in being autonomous, it's we're not going to let mankind rule over us. We're going to be surrendered instead to the Holy Spirit, And we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that's what Philip has modeled for us in Acts chapter 8. And we talked last week about Stephen. That's what Stephen has modeled actually for us here. That they are living lives totally surrendered to God. Totally surrendered to him. So we've got to fix this in our lives. And so the question is, how do we fix this? We're going to go through several things very fast And I want to ask you to just jot down these scriptures as we go through them. And at the end, we'll leave all of these up on the screen for you. And I want to ask you to live these out as lives surrendered completely to him, not lives autonomous of his work in your life. So here's some action steps to placing Jesus as the king of your life. We've got to get off of our own throne, and he's got to be the king. He's got to be the Lord over the kingdom. First, you've got to cry out to God. You've got to cry out to God. Do you know what our default is? Uh, this is primarily for men, but it's also the flesh. But you know what our default is? To fix things. We want to step into a mess and we want to fix it. Some of us actually run from messes hoping that the mess is going to fix itself. Listen, no matter what mess you have in your life, or no matter how beautiful your life is, the first thing you have to do is you've got to cry out to God. You may say, hey, I'm not experiencing any hard times. And if that's the case, that's amazing. But you still have to live surrendered to the king. You can't just take the good and run with the good because God is the Lord of the good and he's the Lord of the bad. And oftentimes what we'll see whenever we live life surrendered to him, the bad isn't so bad at all. But instead, it's Genesis fifty twenty. Whenever God takes what the enemy meant for harm and He turns it into good, and it's only when you live submitted to the King that you actually experience that. And the only way that you experience that is when you cry out to God and then you repent if you need to. If you live in life as your own King, that's when you gotta. That's when you've gotta repent. So I want to share two scriptures, and I've. Can revert, or I've, um, I've flipped them around here. Proverbs 3, 6. Usually verse 5 goes with it. But I want to focus on this one because when we're crying out to God, this is a scripture of surrender. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The key part of this verse is all your ways acknowledge him. You've got to acknowledge God in every area of your life. Not live autonomous of his authority, but you've got to acknowledge God in every area of your life. So if we've not been doing that, we've got to cry out to him and we've got to repent if we need to from those areas where we have actually tried to live our life on our own. The next is don't depend on yourself. Don't depend on yourself. Your wisdom cannot compete with God's wisdom. So here's Proverbs 3, 5. Again, this voice of surrender, the scripture of surrender for us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is a verse that the Lord uses to remind me sometimes. Stop using your brain right now and just ask me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't trust your own understanding, but instead rely on the Lord And so whenever we're living lives that are totally surrendered, where Jesus is the king of our lives, we cannot depend on self. We have to depend upon him. Philip is doing that in Acts chapter 8. He's living a life in submission despite the hardship despite the persecution. He's not relying on his own understanding, but instead he's trusting in the Lord and doing that which God has directed him to do. He's living a life where Jesus is the king of his life. Next, flee from when the enemy tempts. Run from the temptation of the enemies. Because in good and bad, in ups and downs, the enemy is always going to bring temptation in. And he's going to do it in subtle ways. And so we have to live out Paul's words to a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth, Paul says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee. Run away from it. When the enemy is tempting, when the enemy is confusing, you have to pause and run from that and you have to go sit with the king, surrendered to him. Not autonomous of his authority, but sitting in submission with him and saying hey God, what is it that I should do? Or what is the next right thing that you actually have for me? I'm not running after the temptation of living a life of where I'm the king of my own kingdom but instead I am walking away from that I am fleeing from that and I'm coming back as you the king of every area where I'm just pursuing your righteousness whenever we step out of the cover of Jesus as the king of our life we will always fall prey to the temptations of the enemy it always happens It happens to the famous, the non-famous. It happens to the rich. It happens to the poor. It happens to everyone. Because the temptation of the enemy is to lure us away, away from the righteousness of God. And we have to make certain with Jesus as king that we are running away from the temptation of the enemy. So the fourth one here. Intentionally put God first in everything. So we remember the scripture from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom. You have to be intentional about this. This doesn't happen by accident. You've got to be intentional. Because when there's a king, you have to intentionally submit to that king. And so if Jesus is going to be the Lord, then we have to intentionally put him first. Remember, seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. We have to make sure that we are intentionally putting God first in everything. Number five, check yourself by God's word. And here's where we err sometimes. We can get crying out to God and repenting if needed. We can get not depending upon ourselves. We understand what it means to flee from temptation. And we can try so hard to intentionally put God first in everything. But this is the one that trips us up. You've got to check yourself by God's word. Because what God impresses on your heart is never going to be contradictory to what's in this, what's in this book. You've got to make sure You've got to make sure it's right. And then you've got to allow somebody else to come alongside you to affirm that which you feel is right. It doesn't happen on your own. You've got to dive in to the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can do all of these steps, but if you forget number five, the enemy will always When You've got to check yourself by God's word. And the last one, you've got to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach you. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach you. Because God is not a God who once spoke and then he's silent. He's a God that continues to speak to us. And when we sense God speaking to us, we come back to his word. We speak to other believers, and then we allow the Holy Spirit to affirm it in our lives. So you've got to be intentional about listening, listening to what the Holy Spirit actually says to you. You've got to make certain that you're relying on the Holy Spirit to teach you these things. Jesus' words in John 14, 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, The way that Philip did here in Acts chapter 8. These are six steps that I think that we've got to apply every single day. So that we make sure we're not being autonomous from him. But instead we are living submitted to him. You've got to cry out to God. And if repentance is needed, you've got to make sure that you step into repentance. And you walk that out with God. The second thing is you cannot depend on yourself. You can't be the king and him be the king in other times of your life. There's one king, and if you dethrone that king and you climb up on that throne of your life, then you have failed and you've got to get back to number one, crying out to him and doing it in repentance. You've got to cry out to God. You've got to stop depending on yourself. You've got to flee from temptation when the enemy is tempting you. You've got to intentionally put God first in everything, check yourself by God's word, and then rely on the Holy Spirit to teach you do you know what I believe that's happened here today I think the Holy Spirit has tugged upon our hearts and began to reveal some areas of our life that he may not be the king of our life I think the Holy Spirit has begun to move in our life and ask us to surrender or submit another area to him I don't know what that is for you. I know in preparing for this day, some areas the Lord has really impressed upon me. What would it look like if you woke up every day and you said, good morning, God. I'm submitting this day and my life completely to you. Probably would look a little bit more like Philip in Acts chapter eight. When he's doing things that doesn't make sense to the flesh and that could possibly get him killed because Jesus is the Lord of his life. If God has begun to tug on your heart this morning of an area that you need to submit to him, then I want you to do that this morning. I know that you may not have it all completely figured out and I know that you may not be thinking or you may not know what the next step is in that. But you know what? That's okay. You don't have to because the king does. And he's just asking you to submit to him. That's all you have to do. You may even been thinking, hey, I've done it in the past and it didn't work out for me so good. You've got to, you've got to hang in there. You've got to live out these six steps that we'll put back up on the screen in just a moment. And the way that it starts again, afresh and anew, is when you go back and you cry out to him. This morning, I want to ask you to start with step one. You may say, I'm living every area of my life where Jesus is the king. I don't make a decision without first consulting the king. That's great. I want to ask you to cry out to him again. There may be more. There may be more. And if you're not crying out to him, and if you're not listening to him, you'll miss it. So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I want you to do it. With a listening ear, crying out to the King. Listening, listening to our Father. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.